0: What is important is receiving the love of Christ and giving the love of Christ to all people. And uh, that's really what ranch is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. As we'll see today, Uh, we are not going to study the Charles Dickens novel, A Christmas Carol. Um, That would be weird at church. But what we are going to do is talk about Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. For those of you who do know the story, most of you do, it was written in 1843 by Charles Dickens. Uh, He actually wrote it in six weeks. Uh, a deadline from the publisher was coming, and he had writer's block. He did not know what to write. He started wandering the streets of London with a piece of paper and wrote A Christmas Carol in six weeks. Uh, became an instant classic, sold out immediately. But uh, you know the story, right? He was the first Grinch, Ebenezer Scrooge. And by the way, this is from the worst version of that story, 2009 Disney version, horrible, creepy images. But there's Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, he's alone, money-hungry old man who's bitter and uh, hates Christmas, Then he's visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, that takes him to his childhood and all that happened there. Then the ghost of Christmas present to talk about the impact of his life in the moment. And then the ghost of Christmas future, where his life is headed. Then of course at the end he comes to this moment of realizing he needs to turn around, turn his ways around, leads him to a place of joy where he's serving his community and people in need. So that's the story. Now we're not gonna study that, but we are gonna walk a journey Starting with Christmas past today, the story, 2,000 years ago. It's a familiar story. Um, You're going to, I think, see some things in there that could be very freeing for you. Next week, we're going to talk about Christmas present. Christmas is not about what happened 2,000 years ago. That's the foundation of it. But Christmas is alive and well right here and right now. And then the following week, we're going to talk about Christmas future. The idea of God coming to earth, Emmanuel, God with us gives us hope for what is to come. Not just life after death, but a new world, the kingdom of heaven taking root here on earth. It's gonna be a great three-week journey leading up to Christmas Eve. So let's talk about Christmas past. Jesus was born somewhere around 5 BC. The original dates were a little bit off. Scholars say it's right around 5 BC. Some argue four, some argue six. But we're just gonna pick 5 BC as the year Jesus was born. And then what we're gonna do today is go one year earlier to 6 BC. We're going to start at 6 BC. What was life like before the birth of Jesus? What was faith like before the birth of Jesus? What did people think about God and their relationship with God before the birth of Jesus? So let's start at 6 BC and talk about faith before Jesus. Before we talk about faith, I want to give you a definition of faith some of you will like, some of you will love, some of you will not like, and probably send a sternly worded email. But I have a microphone and you don't. So faith is this. This is not biblical. This is just, this is just me. We'll get to biblical later. Faith is the stuff we don't really know that tries to explain the stuff we really know. Faith is the stuff we don't really know that tries to explain the stuff we really know. Let me give you an example. We know we exist. We really know we exist. We're here, right? Uh, Western thought was based on this phrase, um, I think, therefore I am. Just the fact that I'm thinking about my existence means I exist. That we really know. But what we don't really know is why we exist, so we have to develop a faith system, all cultures, all people everywhere, develop a faith system that answers the question we don't really know. Why do we exist? We really know that good things happen to some people and bad things happen to some people. We really know that, right? Uh, Evan talked about his you know, son, three month old, in an ambulance, you know, really in, in fear of, where, uh, of his health. Why does that happen? We don't know that. We know good and bad things happen, but we don't know why. So we have to develop faith systems to try to answer the questions we don't really know. We know we die. We really don't know what happens after death, so we create faith systems to try to answer those questions. And so faith is the stuff we really don't know that tries to explain the stuff we really know. So in 6 BC, what were the faith systems on earth before Jesus was born? These are all generalized categories. Every world religions uh, professor or teacher is going to cringe here, but I'm just broadly generalizing here, right? In the Far East, before the birth of Jesus, Hinduism, Buddhism, among many, many other uh, Asian religions, they have disciplines and practices developed that can free us from the constraints of our mind and free us from the constraints of our body through time and rebirths. The goal is to experience greater freedom, greater enlightenment, greater prosperity, and greater unity with the great cosmic force. Rough, rough generalities. That's the religion 6 BC before Jesus. How about in the tribal west? The tribal west, and we'll talk about Germanic tribes, Nordic tribes, Celtic tribes, Native American tribes. Again, broad generalities. But in most of those cultures, there were local deities, local deities. This is oversimplified, but they worshiped these local deities that needed to be appeased through sacrifice and ritual in order for them to bless the people with prosperity and victories in battle, 6 BC, Tribal West. How about the Empirical West? We're talking about the Roman Empire, Greco-Roman culture, uh, paganism. Roman Empire adopted a pantheon of a dozen major gods, some argue eight, some argue 14, but we'll just call it an even dozen major gods uh, that were worshiped and honored in the Greco-Roman culture. There were other minor deities that tend to be sort of localized and ancestral. Uh, One scholar decided to count all of the minor deities of the Greco-Roman Empire, stopped at 30,000 and said, I think we get the picture, lots, many, many. Uh, In the scripture, you'll read uh, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul in uh, Greece, and he's walking through the garden of gods, and there are hundreds and hundreds of gods, and he says, you missed one. And then he introduces Jesus, right, to, to try to say that, this statue that you have or this monument to an unknown God happens to be the Lord of them all. Uh, so very interesting. That's the uh, empirical West. These gods, again, need to be appeased through sacrifice and through obedience in order to bring prosperity to the people. How about 6 BC, the Hebrew religion? Now, we know about the Hebrew religion. If you're part of a Christian church, grew up in a Christian church, you know about the Hebrew religion. That is our Old Testament, right? Right? The Hebrew religion is very, very similar with one major exception in that they, uh, over time, became monotheistic. Uh, right around 600 BC, give or take, they adopted this view that there is only one God, so arguably the first monotheistic religion was the Hebrew tribe's religion. Uh, they had their own local God, Yahweh, and again, you read about this in your Old Testament, they, they worshiped Yahweh, and if they appeased Yahweh through obedience, through sacrifice, through rituals... Yahweh would bless Israel with prosperity, money, wealth, and military victory. That is your Old Testament. That's how you read your Old Testament. This is the Jewish religion. They worshiped Yahweh, their tribal God. Over time, you can see that this God was now considered to be supreme and the one and only God. However, that God needed to be appeased as well, through religion, through sacrifice, through obedience. If they appeased Yahweh, they would get money, and military success. You see all of this in Deuteronomy 28. Here's one example of many. Israel, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and be, and be careful to follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. That's just a standard promise of the Old Testament. You will obey and appease Yahweh. He will give you wealth and give you military victory. Now. Those are roughly, rough categories of the religions of six BC before the birth of Christ. What are the common threads of all religions, of all people? In every one of them, there's a distant God or gods or cosmic oneness that needs to be appeased. This God or gods or cosmic oneness is generally unhappy with how things are going on here, generally unhappy with us because we're imperfect, these gods are powerful, Uh, we are flawed, And there's an animosity between God or the gods and us. That's just common in every religion. The divine judge gives reward or punishment based on how we have appeased God or gods. If we give proper sacrifice, proper obedience, we can unlock these divine blessings for our own prosperity, the prosperity of our family, the success of our nation usually has to do with military success. Religions are oftentimes targeted or even invented in order to motivate soldiers for military success. The hope of every religion is always the same, prosperity, power, and glory. Common threads, all religions everywhere, 6 BC. Then comes 5 BC, the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus changes all of this. All of this changes at the birth of Jesus. Let's start with this announcement to Mary, Matthew 1:23. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You see the difference right there? I mean, already, this is just basically the first sentence, and already there's a stark difference. God with us. That's an incredible difference. All the other religions of all time throughout human history has God out there. This mysterious God or gods out there, but certainly not with us. You know, they're in their own heavens. They're in their own realms. They're invisible. They're a a force. But here we see the birth of Jesus is God with us. His name will be Emmanuel. That changes everything. God's with us. That means he's not a distant, unknowable mystery that we have to kind of imagine about. That God isn't a cosmic force. God with us. As God reveals himself, he reveals himself personally through a human being not a cosmic force, not this impersonal, uncaring energy. That God isn't some invented being that was sort of adjusted as stories are told, ancestors upon ancestors, until we have these these mythologies that develop. This is God, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us as a human being. Hebrews 1, one through three says, God has spoken to us in his Son. God speaks through his son. God speaks to us through Jesus. Hebrews 1 said, long ago God spoke through prophets, through through the word, but now God speaks through his son. His son was the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is exactly who our heavenly father is, exactly that's why it is so important to be Christ-centered. And I know that can be kind of a cliche, but you know, sometimes we can be doctrine-centered. Sometimes we can be religion-centered. Sometimes we can be traditions-centered. Jesus-centered understands that Jesus, this Emmanuel, God with us, is the full radiance of God's glory, the full expression of God himself in this man, Jesus. So much so, Jesus later declared, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Basically, I am all you need to know who God the Father is. That's critical. It's critical at Christmas. As we go now to Christmas past, 5 BC, the birth of Jesus, full radiance of God, the full glory of God, the exact representation of God's nature in Jesus. So why did he come? Why did Jesus come? We see in Luke 19:10, Jesus gives his own job description. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus was here on a rescue mission. He was here on a rescue mission. It's almost as though God the Father was looking at the state of humanity and said, I don't think I like a lot of what's going on here. They've used their authority. God says, Dominion over this earth is yours. We've used our dominion over this earth to make a big mess, right? Sometimes through pride, through selfishness, through greed being power-hungry through violence. We can mess a lot of things up. And God the Father says, listen, I've given them authority over this earth. This isn't going well. We need Jesus. They need a savior. So Jesus came to be the full expression of God to straighten this place up, right? Not to just get us in shape because there's a religion that's invented, not at all. That's the last thing this world needs but we need the full presence of God. We need the full knowledge of who God is and who God is is fully expressed in Jesus Christ, who came to save us from ourselves, to save us from the destruction that we caused to one another, and to get us on a new path, a new path of love. So what do we see in, G- in Jesus? If Jesus is the full expression of God, who is God? Well, we see in the birth of Jesus that God is humble. God is humble. Now, I make these uh, slides behind me, and when I wrote out this phrase, God is humble, I mean, I'm telling you, it was hard, because that's not oftentimes what we think of when we think of God. I mean, that word God is, of course, as it should be, revered. And when we speak about God, we speak of him in terms that are appropriate, you know, holy, transcendent. A pure, perfect, unapproachable light. If we were in, you know, the, his glory, it would consume us. These are the thoughts that we have about God, and a lot of them are appropriate, right? He is worthy of awe. He is, he is full of wonder, right? There is none like him for sure. But when this transcendent God of glory chose to reveal himself, he revealed himself in humility. So as hard as it is to get our heads around the fact that God is humble, that's how he revealed himself in Jesus. We see in this great great hymn of the early church, Philippians chapter two, exactly the road that Jesus walked and it was a road of humility. Though he was God, the full glory of God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Humble, humble, humble. So Philippians two walks the nature of Jesus from the highest of highs, the enthroned deity, to the incarnation becoming a human being, but a lowly position becoming a slave even to the point of death on the cross. Death on a cross, God himself, the fullness of God submitting himself to be the victim of his own creation, every religious power, every political power, bearing down on Jesus, murdering him for treason against Rome and blasphemy against God. That's the path that Jesus took. That's the path Emmanuel took, God with us. God is humble, God is humble. And that is different from all the religions on earth, just as it was different that God would be with us. Every other religion is God is out there and he is above us. The birth of Jesus, Christmas past says God is with us and he is humble, he's humble. You know the story. Mary was pregnant before marriage. According to the Hebrew religion, that's a capital crime. She could have been put to death Shame to the family, shame to the family name. Joseph made the courageous decision to marry her regardless of that shame. That means he bore the shame of that as well. While nine months pregnant, they were forced to travel long distances to participate in a Roman census. And so you have this backdrop of political oppression, invasion of these people. While experiencing the pain of childbirth, they were turned away from every hotel and every home in the city. They were shown a dirty barn and the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, was born in a feed trough. Born without dignity, born without fanfare, born without the most peripheral measure of human respect. The savior of the world with just a few uneducated shepherds was born in humility and desperation, born into poverty, into a nothing of a nation, a nothing of a village, to a nothing of a family. He just would have been a blip in human history That is how God chose to reveal himself, his nature through Jesus. God is humble, which is why when Jesus started his ministry, the only people who fought to Jesus were the humble people. The wealthy and the religious elite and the powerful elite wanted nothing to do with Jesus because he wasn't of the right wealth, wasn't the right family, didn't live in the right area, wasn't raised in the right country, didn't have the right credentials, didn't have the right blood flowing through his veins, so they abandoned Jesus. God revealed himself as humble, so all the elite stood back. In fact, they plotted behind the scenes to murder him. But the people who flocked to Jesus were the humble, people in need, people who were poor and desperate and sick, people who were labeled sinners, people who were outcast and lonely. The immigrants, the refugees, those are the ones that flocked to Jesus because he's the fullness of God who came in humility. We see that in the birth scene in Luke chapter 2. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger or feed trough because there was no lodging available for them. Any reading of that would break your heart. From ancient culture's point of view, to have this kind of indignity on any child and any mother and any family, tears would have welled up reading this story. I know it's quaint and the manger scene is quaint, but you read Luke chapter two, And from an ancient Near Eastern perspective, the indignity that they suffered, tears would have been streaming down our face. The birth of Jesus is a tragic story. It's a humble story, even a humiliating story. That's how God chose to reveal himself. So 5 BC is a stark difference from 6 BC. 5 BC says God is here, not there. 5 BC says God is humble. God is humble. He's not seeking glory. He's not in this for himself, he's in this for us. And At the birth of Jesus, we see that God is selfless, and I have to tell you, as hard as it is to write God is humble, it is impossible to write God is selfless. I mean, typing that on that slide behind me is difficult because, again, how how can God, the creator of heaven and earth, possibly exist for the benefit of others? I mean, I know, I was taught from wonderful people that God needs me to worship him, God needs me to obey him. God needs me to exalt him. God needs me to honor him in every way. I mean, that, that's kind of the drumbeat of religion, all religion, including, sadly, a lot of Christianity. That God is, by default, unhappy with us because we're sinners. God is unhappy with me because I'm a sinner. He's angry with me, he's disappointed with me, and I need to do better. And I might do better for a little while. I might be super committed and super devoted. And then I think, ooh, God's getting closer. That's good. God's gonna start answering more prayers. My life's gonna get dialed in because I'm making him happy. 6 BC, every religion on earth. Jesus changes that. By communicating to us that God isn't about being served. God is about serving. What did Jesus say in the book of Mark? The son of man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. God is here to serve. God is here for the benefit of us. Religious circles, you wouldn't hear that anywhere. We would hear, oh, you got to worship God. You got to obey God. You got to appease God. You got to be devoted to God. You got to be involved in all these religious things. You got to volunteer. You got to give. You got to, got to, got to, got to. Because the more we appease God, he'll turn his anger into blessing and he'll give us the stuff we pray for and the stuff we want. And he'll let us into heaven when it's all said and done. That is nonsense. It's religious nonsense. 5 BC, birth of Jesus, Christmas past. God is here. To serve us. Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Here's the great declaration of the angel to the shepherds, right? An angel of the Lord appeared and reassured these shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem. What is the announcement at the birth of Jesus? The first announcement at the birth of Jesus The savior of the world is here for you. You have good news. God has not abandoned you. He's not neglected you. He hasn't left you. He's not here to judge you. He is here to serve you. This is good news for you. And by the way, not just you, Hebrew people, Hebrew religion, all people. This is good news for everyone, everywhere, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all religions, that God is here in this baby, in Jesus. He is here with us, Emmanuel. He is humble, and he's here to serve. What's the word used? Savior and Messiah. That means he's here for us. He's here to save us. He's here to make this world that is so broken in so many ways, and he's here to make it better. He's here to install a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's so simple. There's one law. It's the law of love. That's all we have to worry about. Being loved by God, knowing God's love for us, Loving God in return and loving people around us, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's all for our benefit. And and I know in religious circles, every religion, including sadly Christianity, we have this narrative that God needs us to worship him as though he's some pouty, insecure being needing to be exalted. I mean, really, the maker of heaven and earth is really needing you to worship him. Seriously, get a grip. He doesn't need you to worship him. He doesn't need me to worship him. You think he's losing sleep? God doesn't sleep. You think he's losing sleep? Because, oh, Treadway, he didn't worship me today appropriately. That's insane to think about. But that's, that religion does that to you. Religion has this kind of thing that, well, God needs me to honor him, and I need to worship him. And do you know why we are invited to worship God? Because it's for our benefit. God selflessly serves us. It is good for us to gather together, and it is good for us to worship it's good for us to sing a few songs, pray a few prayers, you know, read a few verses together as acts of worship because it, it does this wonderful thing that it centers us and it grounds us on a couple of key principles. We're not the center of the world. It's a really good thing for us to know. When we worship God, it kind of puts us in our proper place, not as you know, wretches and sinners, but we, we happen not to be the center of the world. That puts us in a good spot. Puts us in a spot of humility. That's good for us, Right? It, it lets us know that there is a, a God who, yes, is above us, but He also cares for us, and He's full of love and mercy and grace. Worship does something for us. That's why we worship, not for God's benefit. Are you kidding me? It's for our benefit. A lot of times we might think, well, you know, if we obey God, then He'll be pleased. I, 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 I get really graded now. You know, after my grace awakening, who knows, 25 years ago, but when, oh, I want to live to please God. It's like you know, He doesn't need to be pleased. Again, he's not waiting around for you to obey him more and all upset if you don't obey him more. He's God, (laughs) right? But what he wants is he wants for us to live a life that is a good life and a meaningful life and a fun life and a well-connected life. And so God has given us some things to think about, right? Here's a, here's a way of life that is selfless and humble and kind and You forgive other people and you don't go wrecking your life and don't go wrecking your marriage and don't go wrecking your kids and don't go stealing and murdering. I mean, these are things that are good for us. Why did God give us these commands? Not so we would obey a religion to make an angry God happy with us so he can give us prosperity and answer our prayers. He gave us these things so that our lives would be better. God exists to serve us. That's why he says worship is healthy for you. Obeying this kind of life that I've called you to live is better for you. Jesus made it real clear about all these Sabbath laws, you know, Saturday, a day of rest. He says, this isn't made for God. We don't obey God for his sake. Sabbath is made for man. God gave us these things for our benefit. Doesn't it feel good to know that God exists for our benefit? We see that at the birth of Jesus. Humble, serving good news for us, good news for all people, the Savior, the Messiah, for us. It's so refreshing, right? It's so refreshing to go from a a 6 BC mentality of God's out there and he's distant and we're afraid and this mystery to 5 BC, the birth of Jesus. God is here. Emmanuel, he's with us. He's among us. He suffered with us. Everything that we've gone through in life, he went through. All of the pain and loneliness and rejection, he's been there. He even experienced death. He's with us. And he came as humble. Not serving himself, but existing to serve us. I mean, that is who God is, and we see that through Jesus. So I wanna close with this. Some of us are still living in 6 B.C. We haven't updated to 5 B.C., (laughs) We're still living in 6 BC. You could have been raised in church. In fact, I would say it's likely. If you were raised in church, you were raised in 6 BC. God is perfect. God is holy. God is angry with our sin. You're a sinner. You need to do good. You need to do better. You need to pray more. You need to read more. You need to be more obedient in order to live to please God. And if you please God, he'll bring blessing on your life. If you please God, he'll answer your prayers. If you please God, he'll let you into heaven when you die. die. Does that sound familiar? That is six B.C. Five B.C., the birth of Jesus, Christmas past, means an understanding that God is with you, not above you, not far from you. He is with you, spirit to spirit with you even to the point where the scripture says he's in you, spirit to spirit, his spirit lives in you, he's close to you. And he's not close to you because you've earned it. He's not close to you because you've been particularly religious or you've been particularly obedient or because you've been particularly devout or because your doctrine is all put together just right. That's not why God is with you. He's with you because he cares for you. As a father cares for a daughter or a son, he's with you simply because he cares. And yes, when we fail and when we make mistakes, he's a loving, forgiving, heavenly father who wants our lives to be better. And so yes, he would love us not to ruin our lives (laughs) because he cares, not because he needs to be appeased. He is with you. He is humble. And he wants to serve you with his love and with his grace. So we gotta get out of 6 B.C., and we've got to live in the day, 5 BC, the birth of Jesus. And I love Romans 3, and I, and I want all of us to really labor on every syllable of Romans 3, 20 through 22. And you'll see the invitation to get updated to the birth of Christ, to get updated to 5 BC, Christmas past. For no one can ever be made right with God by religious law. I don't care if it's the religion of the, the, the Far East. I don't care if it's the religion of, of, the, uh, of the tribal North or the Greco-Roman South or uh, the Hebrew religion. None of it makes us right with God. None of it. Never has, never will. Religious law simply shows us how sinful we are. But But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the religious law. You are free. You are free from religious law. You are free from religion. You are entirely free. You don't have to do all the rites, rituals, and ceremonies. You don't have to have your doctrine all squared away. You don't have to have your obedience life all figured out because you can't make yourself right. Only God can make you right, and how? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. He does it. He does it. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Isn't that cool? It's a different kind of faith. Six BC faith is all this stuff. What does God need? He's distant, he's angry. What does he need for me? He needs my worship, needs my obedience, needs my you know, praise, needs my religious ceremonies. No, he doesn't need any of it. You're free. What he wants of you is simply believe that Jesus did it all. Jesus is God with us. Jesus forgives by his life, death, and resurrection. He gives us hope that we're forgiven, hope that we're dearly loved, that there's nothing that separates us from God. It's just a matter of believing that. My grace awakening took three hard years to go from six BC to five BC. Three hard years of deconstructing the religious mindset and embracing God's grace through Christ alone. I'm gonna pray a prayer right now that is hopefully a step in your journey where you can say enough with 6 BC, I'm all in with 5 BC, Christmas past, past what Jesus, the birth of Jesus means, that God's grace is here, his kindness is here, his forgiveness is here, his unconditional love is here, he is with me, he is in me, we walk this journey, and God is here for my best. And I get to walk on that journey of grace. As I pray that prayer, pray this with me, and live free. Our God and Father, Thank you that you revealed yourself fully, the full radiance of your glory in Jesus Christ, the exact representation of your nature in Jesus Christ. And we see when he was born so much of who you are. You're a God who is humble. When fully revealing yourself, you came as a baby, you came to a a peasant family, you came to a disrespected nation, born in a barn, laid in a feed trough. The only people knowing about it were poor peasant shepherds. That's who you are. So God, where we have been raised in believing you are are angry and vengeful and separated from us and disappointed with us, God, would you allow that 6 BC to turn into 5 BC, to see Christmas past, to see the, the fullness of your nature expressed in a baby laid in a feed trough, that you are humble, and that the message says that this is good news for us, this is saving for us, you exist to serve us. So may we lay down that whole religious way of thinking that we somehow have to perform for you so that you will bring blessing to us. God, you love us simply because we're your daughters, we're your sons, you forgive us through Jesus Christ. When we believe that, when we accept that, a whole new life emerges. So at this very moment, we accept and believe that you've forgiven us through Jesus, you accept us through Jesus, you love us through Jesus, you walk with us through Jesus. We accept that and embrace that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.